that's like 260 on a ticket like an hour before the show and the shrooms just like didn't hit as I wanted them to. Okay. But the lighting references <laughs> were super fire. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Cloud Machine Podcast. My name is Matt Landry and in this 11th episode, I'm here with Corey Pittman. Throughout this podcast, we discuss curation and aesthetics, the importance of networking and Corey's company, Luno Boulevard. We also take a look at artist branding in the music industry. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cloud Machine Podcast. For those who are new to the podcast, Cloud Machine is about the music industry and its stakeholders, meaning everyone that works in it, loves it, lives it, and surrounds it. Our goal is to shine a light on roles, people, and realities of the music industry that are often forgotten or taken for granted. Whether you're someone that's dreaming about making a move in the industry, have some songs recorded and don't know what to do with them, or just a listener that wants to learn more, you're at the right place. This week, I have the immense pleasure of welcoming one of the homies to the podcast. Corey Pittman is a Toronto-based creative industry facilitator, connector, network extraordinaire, and mover. <laughs> he has been a content creator, brand ambassador, an events coordinator, and talent manager. But over the past couple of years, he has diversified his work in the curation, aesthetic, and entertainment industries. He currently works as the operations manager at Curves by Sean Brown and at Steam Whistle Beer Garden as the supervisor. Founded in 2022, Corey's company specialized on music videos and creative commercial work. Luno Boulevard has brought over 15 projects to life. Their client list includes Columbia Records, Universal Music Canada, Sony, Warner Music, and several other independent artists. To get in contact with them, please check out lunoboulevard.com. Link will be in the, in the description below. So without further ado, please welcome Corey Pittman to the podcast. <laughs> what an honor. What, what an intro. How are you, bro? Good. Yeah? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for coming out. I, I you were on like one of the first like uh guests I wanted on the podcast. I created like a list before um just putting even the first episode out and you were one of the first ones so um thanks for coming on true honor yeah always looked up so thank you there you go thank you kegelock for the intro i was making a bet in my head how long it would take for you to use that soundboard oh okay yeah i gave two minutes but i didn't know it'd be 15 <laughs> yeah. seconds 15 seconds um man just starting off man favorite show uh favorite live experience as a fan what do you got? 100%. So it's funny because I read the brief of this episode and the yeah. whole time I've only prepared for this question. <laughs> so I went through most this whole important question. most important yeah. question. I had to reread my list. And top shows, honorable mentions off the rip. We have Kid Cudi when he came back off after rehab when he came to Rebel. I think we were like second or third show into the tour. That was crazy. Crazy. Went from performing huge venues in Toronto, comes back to the city. Performs at Rebel and put on the craziest show I've ever seen, most passionate I've ever seen him do. Came into the front of the crowd after the show and like thanked everybody yeah. one by one. Crazy. I wasn't even a big fan at that point. I was like 18, 17. I mean, it was all old heads because Cuddy peaked or had a huge peak in his career earlier on. So it was all just like 26 year olds in the crowd that I learned to love his music through that show. Yeah. And then we got Maggie Rogers, first show hey. at uh, Drew. Phoenix, and then we got Kendrick's most recent show with Keem, 
And then we also randomly have Chet Fokker, which I don't even know if I'm saying his last name right, but okay. that was crazy as well. Great. Um, what, what kind of music is that? Oh, he's like an alternative, yeah, like an alternative, more of B situation. I can't even tell you his yeah. category though. Yeah. Chet. Yeah. Chet. I love C-H-E-T, that name. right? There you go. Not Chet Hanks. Yeah. But, uh, and of course, Tyler's last show as well. Yeah, yeah. And Man. Tom Bish as well, I can go off. <laughs> if you had to pick one, because I know you're a big concert goer, if you had to pick one out of the bunch, would it be the Cuddy concert? <sighs> Three Live? Sure. I'm going to say no to the Cuddy concert because I want to leave that high at that memory. Right, right. I hadn't right. seen as many, like I'd still seen a lot of shows, but I don't want to go back and think it would be not as good. Right. So I think I'd relive the Kendra show. Hey. The Kendra right. and Keem show. Yeah. That was just mind-blowing yeah because i've been realizing after the tyler show after it was not igor calling me a lost tour yeah i realized like the importance of like obviously set design he had phenomenal set design and then pacing of the set list as well he really like nailed it on the pacing which isn't something i like was realizing is very important if you just yeah. start with your bangers go back and forth it's about knowing how to save the energy in the crowd knowing like that they're going to chill for this one and then come back and like ring them up and then not have them dead by the end of the show. You still want to have that crowd energy that they don't know that they're spending. Yeah, yeah. Time. But totally. um, yeah, that was a very, very well-paced show. We think about that a lot in in just like creating a show, like even emptying the show, this Elio show that, hey, shout out Elio. We're going on tour. We're leaving in a couple of days, but yes, sir. we'll already be back by the time this episode airs. But um, it's something that we we definitely like think about um, being like, okay, what, 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 it's like tail, tops and tails in the sense of like, what's the first like two or three songs that we play? And then what are the two or three last songs we play? And then we fill out the middle. Mm-hmm. We kind of think about those two things at first mm. being in like, okay, how are we going to start the show? How are we going to get them hooked? Yeah. And how are we going to get them to remember? Um, like, how are we going to get them to remember them leaving the concert? Like, yeah. you remember what the, the last, uh, like, um, Kendrick song was yeah it was the family ties <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> you know what I'm saying so it's like yeah yeah um for if, if the, for those who haven't seen that concert there's uh they put it out on Amazon as well it's so good so good they do the par- uh, they shot the Paris show yeah it's ridiculous it's absurd just how good the choreography his movement like yeah. every the blend of like the projections like when he's moving then the projection is him with the arrows in his back yeah is yeah, that, yeah, is that that's, live or is that not? Uh, that's yeah, that's you crazy. Don't know. Yeah, yeah, like it's just yeah. like, come on now. Yeah, and then Keem's performance to be that young. Yeah, he put in his reps already. Yeah, it's a. I'm just scared of what Keem's gonna come to next. <laughs> yeah, this young. Yeah, no, because yeah. Kendrick wasn't doing that on his Good Kid, Mad City tour. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, totally. He wasn't doing Scotiabank Arena. Does Does he do? Do you know if Keem does his own stuff? Like, has he has he done his own tour yet? Yeah, because I got invited to a Baby Keen show in 2018 or 2019 okay, okay. at Phoenix. Right. And my boy's like, yo, this artist is going to be really big. You should definitely come check him out. Okay. Shouts out Kevin Jin from Sparky WTF, yo. Uh, <laughs> always been putting me on early. Shouts out Kevin. Um, and he's like, yo, he's going to be big. You should really come check this artist. I'm like, ah, music's not for me. True. That was Baby Keen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now, yeah, Melodic Blue is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and now with with uh, with PG Lang, I mean they're yeah. gonna they're gonna blow up. We'll t- we'll, we can talk about them later. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite experience as like um, as a, just like a professional in the mu- in the industry? And I don't even want to say music industry for you because it, it just it's it's more than just that now. Um, I put in my notes. I put favorite 
pop up y'all did favorite music video you've done like all that stuff like do you have a, like a yeah, favorite yeah. like a memorable one i don't want to take the easier way out but like the first is always gonna be the most mem uh, like memorable yeah um which is like the emmanuel video i did yeah um as i was doing the concert list i was going back through like the work list as well of like the series of projects we've done yeah and i just like looked back and i was like man i had no idea what i was doing it just really just started with me just like drawing pictures on a page and then being like, yo, like shout out ten four, Josh, Phil and Josh for like helping me bring this life. Yeah. Um, and just not even knowing like what to do. Like just right. be like, oh, how do I like tell somebody like this is how they move or like not take input. I'm so used to like working as like a collaborative. Josh Willock said to me on day, like morning of, he's like, yo, just remember end of the day, like this is your vision. So it's your call. Like don't let it, what anybody else influences you say. I'm like, oh yeah. Right that is like the position of like where I am. I have to call the shots. It's up to me today. I am this position. Yeah. So these are my shots to call. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's so simple when you put it like, say like that, but on day of you're used to like, Oh, I can help out this gaffer or the grip and the electric team. Cause we're always one. It's like, no, like they have their position. You have your position. You yeah, yeah. These are your roles for today. Yeah. Tomorrow you could be a completely different position, but that was a sidetrack. But uh, yeah, probably the first manual video. Cause it really just came from like drawings and me just like ideating for time and time. And then like, Phil just bringing it to life like through like his beautiful cinematic vision. Yeah, yeah. And um it's just fascinating to see. Like I just like they're like these corny ass drawings and then I look up and I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, you did it. Like yeah, the yeah. like the translation that came through. Yeah, yeah. Um it, Yeah, so was, was that like how did that come to life? Was it Emmanuel just kind of connected with you? Both boys from London kind of thing? Yeah. Um, actually, no. So I used to have a brand with a few of my boys, Josh, Liam, Jacob, and Kevin. Jacob actually was the part. But um, yeah, so we started Dry Clean Club. I just like a clothing brand. We did sold some sweaters, sold some unity shirts um, to raise some money for Black Lives Matter. Uh, all the proceeds went to that. And then from there, I was like, you know what? Like One thing artists really lack right now is quality merchandise. So I was like, oh, what's a good business that we could like, I could open up where I go to these artists and just like sell them blanks, like, not blanks. I'd help them ideate their vision, like from creating the merchandise and then doing the rollout. And I really saw like merchandise is something that's an untapped market. Right. So it's like, everybody just like sells merch and it's like, it's dropped. Now it's become its own thing. It's its own like entity Like you have Astral World merch. It's like Travis has Cactus Jack. Yeah. And now it's becoming a really big thing. But at the time this is 2021 early or 2020. I think it was 2020 as well. Um, so it's like, yeah, I'll help you sell it. I'll help you brand it. I'll make a video for you. So it's its own like entity and it's a part of you. So I kind of saw it as like a uh, Venn diagram where it's like part of you as well. Yeah. Um, so I went to Emmanuel when we were doing dry clean, I was like, yo, like here's a hoodie. I was like, yo, if you ever want to like do merch, I'd love to like help you see this through. And it was originally supposed to be for that, but like it never got cleared by the label for us to do that video. So we just yeah. kind of like, I had all these cigarette packages designed by Dawson. And he made them all, like each to each song. And then I printed them, like I made them. So I, have, like, I still have these physical cigarette packs of each song, stuff in cigarettes. And like the whole premise was like based around like 1960s cigarette ads. And then we we're gonna do like merch through that. Yeah. And like, it just never cleared through the label. So we just still shot this video and just used it as an album promo. And actually that's what released the album date was that video. Right. But yeah, so that's how it all kind of started from Emmanuel. I was supposed to do merch and then I just like, I just kept doing and doing and doing and then yeah, it turned yeah, yeah. into a video and then from there um we did the nilo video and then i like reconnected with nilo and then he's like oh like, we want to do some i want to do some more videos for my stuff and then nate kind of took lead and then i just kind of helped produce yeah 
what I thought I was producing at the time. <laughs> also, did no idea. Yeah, what I was yeah, doing. No idea, yeah. And then I mean, it all starts that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why don't you just start? Yeah. Start is the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess you could say Luna Boulevard started from a clothing company. There you go. But um, we'll get yeah. into it. Yeah. We'll get into it. Um, the second question I have for you is uh, just your thoughts on where the the music industry is right now. Um, I mean, I I know you as a huge music head, specifically rap, hip hop, um, but you're not necessarily always working in that industry. Um, but I still wanted to get your take on this. Music and music business are two different things. That's the quote by Erica Badu. Um, again, music and music business are two different things. So how do you, how, how, what's your first instinct when you hear that? Um, and where are you at right now? Just in, just between the balance of the, the art form and the business. Yeah, obviously <laughs> complete different sides of it. But I think it's, yeah. I don't know, I find it very interesting. Like artists like, I think it's Vince Staples who rewrote, he like realized how much money you can make from like sync. And like right. licensing. Yeah. So then he rewrote, like he wrote his newest album or the album at the time to get synced. Right. Like he's like, I want this to be syncable. Right, right, right. And like, I think he said like seven out of like 12 tracks got hit. Yeah. And he's like, I made more money from licensing deals than I did for my recording budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like realizing that, but I think you have to start in a place where you're not thinking about the business side of it first. Yeah. Unless you're like Lil Nas X where it's really like, that's the, your driver. That's just right. like your, that's your like your moat. Like that's, that's what you sell is like the business side of the music. So it's all like, it's calculated. Right. But you need the people who are only thinking like music forward. You have the Lauren Hills, you have all those like the Kanye's who are like, this is, I don't care about like the business side that will just follow. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think that it's, at some point when you get too big, it becomes more of a, um, a character and a persona and not necessarily about the music anymore? Your example, I, I think little it's very easy to, yeah. Yeah, your example, little Nas X is like he's become bigger than his music now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, as his brand is one. Yeah. Um, what about what about like with with uh, companies like Luno? Is it like obviously there's this whole aspect of of, of producing the video, y'all doing the just basically the art, but what about like the the business part of it? Like, what's the balance for you there, and what do you think is just like the that's a good question. So yeah. I kind of learned this one from Elliot. Elliot Muscat taught me that like you have to like every video has to have like, an intention. So it's either like this is for like the business move, this is for the connection, this is for like the creative purpose. But I want to add this to my portfolio. So I'll do whatever it takes to get this video done. Yeah. Because I want this creatively. Or is this to build a business? And when Nate and I started, sorry to sidetrack into Luno conversation. Yeah. When we started Luno, it was with the intent of creating a business and also an umbrella to house our like our creative concepts and everything that we make ourselves. So um, we go into like each deal, like, oh, like, does this make sense for the business? It's not just about like our personal rates, it's about the company. Like we have to pay, you still have payroll every month that you have to pay. Even if we have no videos, we still have to pay our account. Yeah. We still have to pay all of our like monthly expenses, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to find that balance, right? Okay, this is for the company and this is how we want to like look good to the client. We want to like communicate with the client. But then you have stuff to make, you have to start even with artists, and this is what I'm saying, is you have to start with creativity and like actually just music. Like you're building on like a creative vision, whether that be your music, whether it be an album, whether it be a visual trailer of like what your brand is, a spec ad. You have to be doing something like for free to like build yourself, to yeah. improve yourself as well. And that's when the business falls after that. It's like, oh, I can do this, this and this. And then, then you take it and you sell it to somebody. Yeah, go, yeah. These are my capabilities and my skills. You can't, 
I'm realizing now, like, as I'm starting to direct more this year, I'm wanting to, you can't just keep selling people on a vision because you haven't done it yet. They go, oh, that's a great storyboard, but like, can you actually make that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, trust yeah. me, I can't, but it's like, yeah, why should I trust you? You haven't done it yet. Yeah. So you kind of have to like believe in yourself first. Yeah. Um, what do you so, have to, can I ask you, what do you have to provide to those artists? And what do they for, ask for? For the trust? Yeah. I think I it all it all depends. Because some artists are like, oh, like you just do it. Like I want you to have full vision. And the other ones are like, oh, I have this concept. Like, can you like clean it up and right. like help me execute? Right. And I've like been approached just like, oh, just help me execute this. Right. Um, I already know what I want. It's just more so I need hands on deck. Yeah. Um, but some are like, like Nilo always has ideas, but then Nate always goes back and forth and they always like come up together. Um, somebody for... Like Anders, Nate and I just did the whole thing. Like he, Anders is like, you tell me what you guys think. Right. So then we like, I visit, like I created the whole deck with Nate and then we sent it to Anders. He's like, yeah, cool. Right. And then some artists are like more hands off, some artists are more hands in. Yeah. Um, or they have that like certain person that they like specifically work with that they want their vision to come to life with, which Nilo is now turning that, like, we're now becoming that with Nilo. Like it's, yeah. we're, we're doing all these videos. So it's nice to start start and create this like brand identity with him like visually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I like, I love when artists like Emmanuel, he's like, yo, I'm for some reason, there wasn't even like video references. He's like, I love these 1960s, like cigarette branding. So I just started like doing research going through and I was like, Oh, I love these typefaces. Love like the ad style, love the like bluntness. So I was like, okay, word, how can I think of this from here? Like how can I incorporate this? Like, energy and like feel of like what a 1960s like secret ad feels like right and then i started like see these like ideas <laughs> see these videos in my head so that's so crazy um <laughs> trust me i don't see things yeah <laughs> <laughs> doctor please yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um but yeah and then you just go from there and then you then you just like repitch and then i just like send him decks okay and he said no to a lot of decks that i thought were phenomenal sure. ideas right but some artists would be like get down like they don't even like care. They're just like, oh, I need to make this happen. Yeah, yeah. But the issue is when you get the label involved, it's like their it's their opinion. And yeah. I'm like, this isn't even the artist's opinion. Right. I'm like, this is what the label wants. But how will it work marketing yeah. wise? How will it work so, in the industry kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah. So then they're seeing it as like, which is also good. You need the balance of like, oh, this is how it's going to be like perceived and taken in. Yeah, yeah. You need that. Yeah. But what you need to find the balance. You really need to have like the label needs to trust the artist that it's like, it's still the original the day. There needs to be risks taken. Mm -hmm. like Mariah Carey getting an old dirty bastard on the remix for fantasy like Sean's always told me the label had to fight and fight to get that remix to happen now it's like iconic right because it's like the merge of two different worlds you know yeah, yeah. you can't just keep taking the safe route and I think this year that's kind of the goal is to like keep pitching things that aren't the safe route um, like new ideas that you wouldn't like typically go with and um, we just got like denied a pitch because it's a super simple idea but like we took it like on our route how we wanted to see it because it's right. just very simple concept and then I pitched an idea that was just more intricate and like I thought it would look better and they said no and I was like you know what I'd rather them say no and us not do the video of like what they fully wanted us like yeah, I'd rather have right, our right. take on the video and you say no right and have nine no's and then one that hits because then our branding is actually what we want it to be right right we don't want to keep doing videos where it's like yeah this is the please them we still so back to the business question of like balancing Luna the creative and the business side yeah we still want to have, it's like, oh, this is Luno's team. Like they can execute videos like this, but we also want to make, oh, this is Luno's branding. This is Nate's direction. You can tell Corey's direction. When you watch like Michelle Gondry video, who's like somebody I really look up to, you're like, oh, that's for sure Michelle Gondry video. Like, right, you right. Can, you, I can tell yeah. 
Michelle Gondry directed this because it's just fun. Like it's like yeah. lifting. It's not that deep. It's just like oh, this is so silly. Like, yeah, that's where I'm trying to take it. This year, it's just more silly. And I'm this tagline I'm trying to take home in like five years is make corporate cool. Okay. And um, yeah, that's like the future future goals is to then transition these like fun spec videos that I'll be doing for like music videos and then like music videos and then eventually corporate and like being able to trust the corporate people to be like oh this is a fun ad yeah, so yeah. you can see on the Super Bowl commercial that new Dorito Jack Harlow commercial fire yeah, yeah. super fire crazy um, but yeah so I think you gotta start to balance the business you gotta start by proving yourself you can do the creativity first yeah and also like execute different ideas and be willing to fail as well yeah like you gotta be bold like last week we shot with our friend Petra did a one take and I was like if we're gonna do a passion project we're gonna make it hard yeah. And that was hard. And yeah. Then, yeah, like the next, like that, that night, I'm like, oh shit, should have done this, should have done this. Right. And like, but then you don't know until you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, I, I storyboarded that for weeks and weeks. Yeah, yeah. Sure, I looked at the storyboard so many times over and over and over. I didn't catch those things until you shoot it. Yeah. So you don't know until you can't you keep take selling a step ideas. Back. You take can't. a step back. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You gotta be willing to just put it out and be like, face it. Do you think, um, having your own signature on a brand even if it's a even if it's a production company is important you you, you said the example with Michelle Gondry um, how do you do you develop your own branding and your own signature style through just your portfolio 100% and also so there's one thing I think there's like a this is ironic that I'm saying this because I don't really post my work but I think <laughs> there is a like a social, like how you're seen, like, oh, this is his style from the outside. Right. But also internally, like I, it's very important to me to like recognize that none of these videos are possible without the crew you're working with. Like without that gaffer that's putting the extra work that everybody, there was like 22 people on set the other day. Yeah. I was paying to have this video produced with Petra. Right. Like she put up the money that I helped. Like these people were not paid. They were there on their free time, like recognizing like, this is like their free time that they're choosing to come help with you. Yeah, yeah. When it's like, I want like your reputation to be like, Oh, like I want to work on a project with Corey because of like the, how the sets flow or like, I want to be challenged. So like when you're brainstorming that video, I was like, Oh, I, what's something I can bring people on and give them value. Yeah. So in terms of like branding, I want to be, I personally want to be known when like on sets is like, I'm giving people value in a way that they can take this and be like, Oh, I learned something today. I was challenged. I want to like grow. Cause that's something that's very important to me is continue to learn and grow. Yeah. So if I can encompass that in the sets I'm doing, I think it's very vital. And that's where I'm like, the goal is, especially on those passion projects. Yeah. But then I talk about the balance of like getting the corporate stuff that you're still making like look good and still making great product, but it might not be as like creatively challenging and like mind bending as hard as you want it to be. Cause you yeah. always talk to your friends like, Oh, I did a lot of corporate last year. I'm trying to do more creative touches this year. And I challenge myself again. Right. Right. And you get that a lot in this industry. Yeah. You'll hear that people just like chase their bag for a bit and think, oh man, I'm just drained because I haven't like, I've just been on autopilot. It turns into an autopilot situation. Right. Um, so you're talking about ne not necessarily creating a, a look for the brand, but also creating a feel for the people that work with you as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like this recognizable value yeah. every time they come to set, wanting them to work with you more, creating that network, which is also what we're going to be talking about <laughs> later. Um, but, uh, Did you have anything to add there? Yeah, I'll finish the other side of that. Um, so yeah, so the actual branding of it, I think it's very important to have that style and brand. Like you look at PG Lang mm. and though it's different artists, you get the feel like you get it. Yeah. Like you watch all the Kelvin Klein ads and you're like, yeah, like this makes sense that it's fluid. Right. And I think that's not 
important to be like, oh yeah, that's obviously Corey's video. It's black and white. It was shot outside on an iPhone. Like, that's not as key, <laughs> but it's more so like, oh, this is a crazy video. I bet you like, who'd be willing to take a risk like this? Or who'd be willing to like, try and make a country video, like look like a rap video, you know? Like, oh, this is like a right. fun take. So it's not just about one style, but a, I guess the... The aesthetic or yeah, the... Yeah, not just the aesthetic. So it's the challenges you face as well. Yeah. Because you look at all these, like even Spike Jones videos, they're all like, they're all different, right. but they're not, but you can tell it's a Spike Jones video. Yeah. You can just be like, oh yeah, of course. Like yeah. that's just like the energy that he encompasses in the video. Yeah. It's not just about the music. Yeah, it's not yeah. about just like, oh, the edit keeps switching on the beat. Yeah. It's not about that. It could be a crazy one take, like the one take, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the artist, but like when they light him on fire and it's all shot in slow-mo and okay. like, he's just easily like running across and then. It's so clean, mm -hmm. but it's like, oh yeah, like you don't even realize you're listening to the songs you're watching the video. Yeah. It's not just about, oh, I do, I only do rap videos. I think that's like important to diversify and like get your branding as as well. Do you think there are specific things that you can look out for to develop your own kind of uh, video aesthetic or creative aesthetic or recognizable branding that's sort of like not necessarily like a logo, but like I, I'm thinking when I think about video and recognizable videos or just like aesthetic and directing and stuff, I think about Spike Lee as well. Um, like his, just like his, like the, the specific shot that he has in all of his, uh, the, all of his movies where it's like a, it's like double, um, it's like that one shot in Black Klansman or in, um, uh, a bunch of his movies with Denzel as well. He has like the shot where he's moving, like the actor is moving, like but it, he's not necessarily moving. Yeah, it's like the uh, the zoom pan, like it's the uh, dolly. Yeah, double zoom dolly, yeah, double yeah, yeah. dolly shots. Um, do you find? Do you think that there's like just like there's a way to do that or to create one, or is it just again with your portfolio and eventually you get to that? I think eventually like, this is what we do now. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm not even there yet because I haven't developed my style, my brand. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So I'm nowhere near getting to that point where it's like, oh, Corey Drake, because I'm still like, I'll always forever be learning, but yeah. I don't have that like bank yet. Nathan is getting to that point where it's like, oh, I can tell Nate directed this. Like, this is like, there's a through line. It's like there were, the emotions are very present. It's like beautifully shot and it's like a storyline transition is always clean. Right. And like Nate's getting to that point where it's like the every video he's done, they keep getting better and better. And you can start to tell he's getting like a brand, like an image, like an image, right, right. Uh, a language, a visual language is the term I'm looking for. Um, but yeah, I think it continues to develop. I think, and then like, even with like somebody like why I look at Sean, why I look up to Sean, it's like he has like a visual language that continues to change, but he's always had a language. He just keeps doing. And then as he like changes, it's just like, it's literally just, as long as you continue to do, your brand is just going to keep continuing yeah. to change. And like, whatever you're inspired by at that time. Sean's been inspired by um, like toys recently and like the importance of like the details on these like 1990s like Simpsons toys. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, he never would have thought like two years ago, this is what he'd be talking about, but this is currently part of his brand. This is like the details and how detail oriented these toy makers were back totally. then. Um, so in videos, if you're super inspired by crazy whip pans and like black and white shots or like shooting on film, then that's your brand for this time. But it's, it's gonna continue to change as well. Yeah. As you grow. Yeah, no, I think in music as well, like we talk about like influences and references and stuff and the, often the, the, di the dialogue is surrounding um, like who are your influences, who are your references and stuff. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have your own voice, um, even through drums or guitar, whatever 
as a singer or whatever until you kind of like put those influences all together yeah. and that becomes you kind of thing. So yeah. you're like you're like a piece of ten plus different very close influences and I, it's only after that that you become like your own kind of yeah like person. That's interesting you say that because it really is. It's like when you're pitching somebody when you're on that one sheet, it's like, oh, they're Beatles meets Ariana Grande's like positions. Sure. And you're like, okay, I get it. Until they like brand themselves. <laughs> Until like two albums in, then you're like, oh no, now it's just like Mike. Now it's now right. he sounds like Mike. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, but you can tell in his earlier stuff he was inspired by this. And I think Nico Bruno from Asterix told me, he's like, yo, just keep doing things off of your inspirations. Yeah. He's like, keep not copying, but like if you love Spike Jones's videos right now, just keep doing videos like Spike Jones, and then your brand will follow. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, it just continue to do in that world, and then you will be like, oh, I like this element. I don't like this element of it, and that's when you start to develop. If you like Spike and Michelle Gondry and Day Free, then you're gonna pull those like certain elements. I like the simplicity. I like the film look. Blah blah. blah. You start to pull those, and then you start to weed out or add in. Yeah. And then that's when it eventually comes. So I guess like as you go down. You keep like closing the door, like, oh yeah, I like this look. Yeah, exactly. I like this. And then you finally get to the, oh, yeah. this is who he is. Yeah. But you have to keep like, you have to, I guess you have to not copy, but you have to live in those worlds. Yeah. You have to do the use of days covers. Yeah. And then do a cover with like somebody else to yeah, then yeah. like get your drawing pattern. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah you're, I, it's actually very interesting. You're grocery I never shopping, thought of it. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Until you learn how to like make your own spices. Or who was I listening to the other day? He was saying, he was saying that you're, you're just, oh, I think it's Pharrell. Pharrell was saying that you're just, you're just, um, whenever you're producing music and it applies to everything, you're basically just checking out a library book and then putting it back in the sense mm -hmm. that like, um, everything, everything in the world that's been done is in that library. Just every time you check it out, you'll have to check it back in yeah. and it's not necessarily yours, but you're at using the, it for now. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can check it back in, but wow. it's always there kind of thing. That's great. He's yeah. always got bars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Dang. Even like uh, the most impressive, I was playing your track and you're like, is this use of this? I'm like, oh, what the fuck? I'm like, how do you know he's on the drums? But you just know his language. Yeah, like, yeah, It wasn't even his yeah. song. Yeah, you know? it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. You, but use of days and like some of these drummers, I mean, you, they're so like recognizable for me. Like uh, Chris Dave is a big one for me that, that you recognize right away. Uh, Young Cat, uh, JD Beck. Uh, like eighteen year old drummer, like he, like his his vocabulary is just like is so recognizable. Yeah. But it's the same though in like in directing music videos, you know who who that is, or mm -hmm. you know it's it, there's some recognizable things, and and it could be as obvious as, uh, like some some iconic shots, like the Spike Lee double double dolly shot, mm -hmm. or it could be like the subtle, very very subtle drum uh, kind of language that you have. Yeah. Anyway. It's very interesting though, but it's important. It's yeah. very important. You don't want to be like, oh, I can't tell who did this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, on to topic one. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to every answer, I'm like, yeah, I don't even think I answered it. <laughs> <laughs> on to topic oh. one, which, um, you know, we'll get there, but your origin story. Um, you grew up in London. Born and raised. Yes, sir. Proud of it. Yeah. <gasps> yes. <laughs> London boy. Um, how was the scene there? How was the arts and culture there? Yeah, it's funny because I wasn't even tapped into the arts and culture scene back yeah. then. But then like now, the more I grow in Toronto, I'm like, yeah, you're from London, you're from London, like Nate's from London, Josh's from London, Iris Kim's from London, shout out, new colossal signee. Um, Emmanuel's from London. 
Um, so you got a lot of talent coming out from there. Yeah. Um, Dower, who's a phenomenal editor, also out from there. Um, yeah, so I think growing up is more so as a focus on business. I just trying to make money. Yeah. Um, I was really tapped in. But you have people like um, Terry Manzi with uh, 3 Entertainment as well, who's they've just opened up studio space and they're doing great video work as well. Um, so they're, they're like starting up. You have like Lighter Juice has been around for a while. But it wasn't somebody, like those weren't, I wasn't like looking up to Lighter Juice at that point or yeah, like yeah, yeah. their videos. Like, yeah. um, so I wasn't really tapped in. I wouldn't say there's like a lot of like support. It's kind of like, there's very like, you get into a pocket where here it's like, it's a bigger scene. You can find niches. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, this is a creative niche, but there's still a pocket here. Yeah. yeah. There you'd probably be alone. You'd be like doing internet friends. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't tapped in as much. I was more so focused on like selling tickets. Right. And like doing that scene. Yeah. yeah. And then I came here and then realized like, I do love, I have always loved music, but I was always driving to Toronto for a show. Yeah. yeah true. Like cool. that Cuddy show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I drove up that night yeah. and drove home that night. But, yeah. um, so, but I had my friends that I'd be driving with. So, you know, yeah, yeah. it's not like we were all music heads in that sense, but we all like appreciated a good show. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I started an artist management back then, but it's like with artist two time, still a great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's there for sure. And there's talented people. And the issue is like, once you're there, it's easy to get stuck there. Once you commit to a crib, once you commit to a car, you're like, you're there. And yeah. it's no longer like you're going to continue to seek discomfort because you're comfortable in that place. Yeah. And I find that gets happened a lot in London. It can be a trap if you don't escape right away. Yeah. It's hard to get out because um, it's easy to become comfortable in the space. Um, yeah. So you really got to just like get a move and come to these pockets like Toronto um, to try and get away. So feel the same way about Sudbury for sure. Just like smaller town. It's, it's not that there was not a scene. It was just that very limited. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of influences there for me for sure, but it wasn't like, um, there weren't that many niches. And if there were, they were like shared niches between mm -hmm. everybody. Kind yeah. Of You're not being constantly challenged. You're not going to walk yeah, into your right. boy's crib. Some random ass dude sitting on the couch and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then he educates you this whole thing on a whole niche you've never even heard of. Totally. And then you're like, wow, this is crazy. And you're inspired yeah. the next day. Then the next three days later, you go to something else. Sure. And it's just like, oh shit, I've never met you before. Like, you know what's happening. You're yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Very yeah. New here, people. Here, exactly. Here it's like new people and new, like you're constantly being educated. Yeah. There it's like, okay, you like, you run out quick. Yeah. Unless you're like tapped in online. Yeah. But like, if you want to be in person, creative space, there's not as much going on. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really cool. In Toronto, it's fun because uh, you can meet new people, but oftentimes you're the new person. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're getting into these rooms, you're getting into these circles and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, I think you're, I think you're the new person, but I'm actually the new person here. Yeah. So it's like, educate me on this. Oh, you probably work with Drake. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing in Toronto where it's like, okay, like Drake has, I, we were, we were on with Noah Schwartz a couple weeks ago and he was like, yeah, Drake has probably like 3000 people yeah, that work for him in Toronto. So it's just like, there's so many people here, not just with Drake, but although he's a huge example here, but it's like, I've been here for, for six years now and I'm still like, I'm still new almost every day, yeah. you know, to these new circles. And I think that's just really interesting um, because you can plateau very easily in other communities, mm -hmm. not necessarily plateau, but not have any room to grow. Challenge and push. Challenge and push. Totally. There you go. Um, but one thing that's very, I think is cool is like, when you come from the, London's not small by any means, it's still half a million people, but when you come from these like cities where like, you're not, 
in like the bigger scene, yeah. you create these like smaller niches and you bring them to Toronto. Like, oh, this is what we did in London. True. So then it's like, also like you're learning from that. It's not something to be knocked at all to come from like a smaller place or like a place that's not unrecognizable at the time. Like Atlanta, when like the three music scenes were like popping up in like the nineties, it was just like, oh, what is Atlanta? Like what the fuck's happening in Atlanta right yeah. now? And then it's like, this is a brand new sound, but it's not because they were trying to be, they didn't move to the West Coast to be West Coast. No, yeah. They embraced what they fucked with at that time. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. like whatever coming out of Atlanta and the South, especially, especially the South, like, like Texas, the sounds in Texas, they weren't like, I'm trying to be like a New York rapper. Right. They were just like, yo, who, I just talk like I'm from the South and now I rap and I've made this music. I make these beats that sound like the South. Yeah. And they're not like, oh, I'm going to brand the South. Yeah, yeah. They're just making music just from their inspirations that are around, even though there's no musical inspirations around. Yeah. So you don't, I'm not saying like run away, embrace what's around you and then carry it on. Yeah. And like yeah. learn from the other people. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's very important to like still tap in and not try and be something else. Just embrace what's around you and like do what's within around around you. I just didn't do that when I was in London. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, for me still, like I'm going to get to Atlanta in a second, but uh, like, I have so much more, I'm so much more proud of my community now that I've moved away. Mm-hmm. You know right? what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Atlanta, um, shout out Organized Noise. They're like, they're the ones that pioneered that Atlanta, Atlanta sound. And they were on the, the Questlove Supreme podcast a couple week, a couple months ago. And they were talking about how, how they developed that sound and how they would like um, just go crate digging in New York. They would take a flight to New York just like on a weekend or whatever. And then come back that same day, but with the crates of vinyl, of like new vinyl um, that they just found, mm-hmm. just crate digging in New York. Because at that time, vinyl was not like like late nineties, early early two thousands. The vinyl wasn't necessarily that huge, so they could go crate dig and find new stuff that wasn't as popular at the time. Um, and they would just come back to Atlanta, cut their records, and just kind of go crazy. Yeah, they they're the ones that discovered um, Outkast and like stuff yeah. like that, and 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 brought them up too. But yeah. anyway, go check out that 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 uh that podcast episode on uh Questlove Supreme they have two hours uh, sorry two uh two podcasts part one part two uh each one an hour and a half we organize noise check that out um not sponsored by the way yeah yeah no yes. although if they would yeah, yeah <laughs> I would um in my note here I have hustling the vintage clothes game in high school I remember this I remember this one story <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, yeah. to sort of talk about it. You, you were saying how the arts and culture wasn't huge in London for you, but just growing up there, um, you were kind of the business guy or like not the business guy, but just like trying to make money. Yeah. Um, you want to talk us through yeah. a couple, just a couple things <laughs> in high school right. that you were, you were, you were yeah. going through. Um, okay, yeah, so probably <laughs> get, he was 15 or 16, met my boy Connor, um, and we started clothing, um, reselling page called Vin Gear. Yeah. Was, yeah, I think it's 15, so it was like 2015 or 2016, um, where I'd go to thrift stores, it's just so basic now, <laughs> saying this now, but eight years later, wow, um, we'd go to thrift stores, buy clothes, and just resell it on Instagram. Yeah. And it was like, there's nobody else in London doing it at the time. There was aged goods who really focused in hats and then started tap in. Yeah. Like, oh, where do you get these clothes? I'm like, oh, I import them from Florida. <laughs> I don't want nobody going to the thrift store. Because back in the day, you would go to any thrift store and there was hot shit there because nobody was thrifting. Right. So then, uh, like, me and Connor, Connor, like, phased out pretty quick because he moved into trading 
Josh have done as he's done very well for me. So now, <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, I was making twenty bucks on a T-shirt. But yeah. um, anyways, uh, yeah, it's nice to catch selling clothes and then trying to use that to like to network as well because like you don't know who's gonna buy your T-shirt. Like, right. I went to Beale downtown, but I was using any business opportunity to like meet new people from your school and then tap into those markets because they they don't live alone. They have friends. And yeah, those friends have friends, and those friends also need clothes. Yeah. Um. So then from that, I'd like leverage clothing selling to uh, to ticket selling as well. So like I already have them in my vast network, so they'd be on my Instagram. Yeah. You know, I'm posting tickets to sell, like they're there. And I knew, this is terrible, but I knew the demographics of certain schools, of who had a lot of daddy money, who didn't. So depending who inquired, it's like, oh, this is the price. Right, right, I right. Because I knew what you were capable of. Totally, that I knew okay. It was just a number to you, and it's just more so an ask to your parents. If it's available. Yeah, if it's available. Thing, yeah. Oh, actually, there was a bid on this the other day. Right, right, right. If you right, want right. this, it's 30 bucks more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah. The, what's the insurance for? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, and then you, you just got to... <laughs> this is terrible that I lied to this kid. But um, there was this one... Oh, I remember this story. <laughs> there was this one windbreaker <laughs> that I found at um, Salvation <laughs> Army. These, one of the first things I ever bought, actually, at a great hall. This is the best haul I've ever had to this day. <laughs> it was like a Japanese flag and a Chinese flag as a, as a Nike windbreaker, but it zipped in half. So you could have like a full country's jacket, but this jacket had two. So I Googled it. There wasn't a lot on it. So then I like priced it at like $150, I think about like $7 before inflation and even in thrift stores. And I told this kid, I was like, yo, like crazy Olympic jacket back if you like when you were representing your country. If you weren't just from one country, it was like you would have split. So this person, this athlete was from Japan and China. And this was like their jacket that they would wear or whatever. And this is how I sold it. And kid like, yeah, kid paid like he, 150 for the jacket. He it up. Yeah. You bought it for $7? Yeah, for sure. Dude, thrift prices back in the day at the Salvation Army were so cheap. Like you get a haul. And I remember like going up to him. Oh my God. He's like shaking. He's like, yeah, it's $150 in cash. Doesn't even look at the jacket. He's like, thanks. And like walks away. I'm like dog this is not your money i'm like this is for sure not your money jeez and then uh, <laughs> i posted a fit pic and then two hours later <laughs> that was also the pro of that job man i'm a terrible oh person oh my gosh god i trust me if you work with luno i have much better morals than <laughs> shout out luno. yeah um jeez. anyways right. yeah so then from that i'd leverage uh leverage vint gear into selling uh concert tickets so i like promoted tory lane show do you have anything about Concert selling on there? Should no, tell us? please, okay. yeah. Um, so from there, uh, there's a Bono, that's my neighborhood, OG named Blair Shaw. He's a promoter in London. And one time I hit him up for Tory Lanez tickets. And he's like, yo, why don't you just sell them for me? I'm like, all right, bet. Tory Lanez was hot at the time. I think it was like 2016. So I started selling them. I was doing like really well. The margins were quite literally, I think, $3 a ticket. Like sell them for 40 <laughs> and you get them for 37 Okay, yeah. But it was more so like the, the make the connects happened so i was like doing it and i was like slinging these tickets yeah um so kids from all over like every high school needed a ticket to go because it was just about that so i kind of like created the hype i'd like plant some tickets and be yo go tell your friends to come to the show like i'll, right. be, I'll give you a cheaper ticket if you tell your friends to come right because i can make the sale off of five extra people and like push from there then the show got sold out so then i went to all the other promoters of the show sold out bought all their tickets and then i was a monopoly so then I'm like, fuck $40. I'm like, 55 bucks a ticket. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, it got to the point, like, in line, as with my boy Yusuf, we went, for some reason we went early, even though I was a guest list. Um, <laughs> I went in line, I'm like, still selling, like, buying tickets off to Gigi, selling them to somebody else. Like, oh my gosh. And like, I think, 
Yeah, I sold, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting the number now, but yeah, I think it's it well over 130 tickets it sold. So it was like, uh, at the capacity of London Music all the time. But um, yeah, it was the top selling at the time for that show. Crazy. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but because of clothing, I had these connects and then like, yeah, oh, they're friends of friends of friends, they all yeah. need tickets. And as soon as you create, like, once that tipping point happens where it's like, this show's hot, Oh, the price is yours to choose. Yeah. So at sub cheese for guac for your tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Ticket <laughs> no needs on, on ID. Holler at your boy for the promotion. <laughs> for the those vintage halls. Yeah. Um, dang. Okay, so okay, London, and then you came to Toronto for for university. Mm -hmm. Ryerson now TMU. Um Creative Industries. Shout out. <laughs> so the only one you got to do, what else no, you got? Um, what cooking with? Um, <laughs> of course we got we got <laughs> we need more Khaled over here yeah Khaled yeah that's that's for, that's yeah that's for later um, so going through university you met Nate I want to get into Luna um, what was the original concept you know it's funny I'll bring it back quick Nate I, Nate's also from London he yeah. went to Central but we had this like beef with each other that was never announced because we both wanted to be that cool kid. Because I would okay. sell in vintage and he would sell. He was aware of the markets as like time went on and vintage selling became, everybody started to tap in like, I can just thrift. And like, that, right. I, it didn't last long that people believed I got my shit from Florida. <laughs> yeah. So then once people actually started thrifting and like realizing like it became a drought, I would start trading and stuff. Nate was like very aware because he'd sell online. So yeah. we would trade clothes, but there's always just like tension. Like he wanted to be the cool kid. I want to be the cool kid in London. So then um, we knew each other and then like, First year in uh, oh, a week, Frosh week. Um, I guess a week is well orientation week. Yeah. Um, we kind of like reconnected in her because we were both in London. Like, yo, let's link up, and then we just partied all week. But there's some obnoxious videos for that week. <laughs> um, yeah. So then we just kind of linked up from there, and then we were just friends. And then I didn't get into residence because I got accepted to Creative Industries so late, like two months before school started. Right. Um, that. We, I just like kept hanging out in his res. He like I'd crash on his couch. I had a house in the annex, but I was trying to like meet as many people in first year as I could and like hang out and just like live university life. Yeah. So I'd be staying at his, staying in like all these different dorm rooms. I'd just be hanging out, doing schoolwork, eating there, whatever. And then uh, so we became good friends. And then Nate started, he was styling at the time. And then he started shooting after our boy Graham gave him a camera. And then from Nate's photography, he led Luno. So Luno started 2022 officially. Top of the year. Yeah. Don't read my LinkedIn. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's wrong. But um, yeah, it started as like Nate and I go, like, oh, what's the five year goal? Like, we're in third year now. Like, what do we want to be doing in five years? And that's like, one goal for me is I really want to own property. So it actually started as like, Nate's a guy who agreed. Like, I think property is very important too. So, five year goal, like, let's own property. So, like, right now, what can we do? Like, we just started doing uh, two Nyla videos, one or two Nyla videos. And we did uh, the manual video, and then there was something else in between as well. They were okay, we're like, let's start a production company to house all of our stuff, and then also to like build a business. Yeah. So the goal was, still is, build Luno as production, so we're like, we're being noticed as like our creative taste, which then will lead to video work. From video work, we can then, all profits from that for the company will turn into like rental, so gear rentals. And then from those gear rentals, we rent to ourselves on set. And that gear pays itself back. And from that profits, we turn that into a property eventually. So that's the right. five-year goal is to then get like a studio space. Yeah. To yeah. then have like a re part rental house and then part studio space to rent out of. So go. then like in those five years, I want to like pass off Luno in a way. 
and probably develop something else. But like see it as a business and then like we just have this entity that's like breathing. So like, we wanted to like learn, we just submitted corporate tax. We I wanted to learn book bookkeeping. I wanted to learn like firsthand like client engagement, like how to communicate like communicate. So the overarching goal started as owning property, but then like all of these things come with it as well. And that was yeah. really important to us to like learn and grow together. Um, so that's kind of how Luno started. That was like the baseline of like why, but um, it's obviously like the most important is to house our work as well. Cause when you go to somebody to pitch as a brand, it's not just like, Oh, like check out, this is my brand name's my Instagram page. It's like, yeah, yeah. when you don't have that, like you see it through, like you don't see pictures of my dog when he died on my Instagram page, you see it as like a business page. It's like, it's more professional. Right. And, um, especially when you're blind pitching for sure. So I think that's, uh, that's important to us. Yeah. What's your favorite part about Luna? I, I, I we're going into like just straight up questions yeah. here. Let's do it. Uh, favorite ice cream flavor, uh, <laughs> Bordeaux cherry core thin lakes, by the way. Um, <laughs> anyway, nice. favorite part about Luna is the constant challenges. Every video I listen to the, um, Clown Machine podcast <laughs> that every night before I go to bed. Yeah. Uh, um, no, the director has, oh, art, architecture with the uh, studio episode. Okay. Um, and he was like, yo, like the most important thing is constantly challenged every single time you do a set. He's like, yo, if you haven't used like this type of gimbal before, use it on the set. Every single set, use a different challenge. Yeah. Um, so I think the constant challenges is like every single video is going to be, I want to like try and make something harder than the last video. And obviously better. Better is like the outcome by challenging yourself. Yeah. The goal, not always going to work, but whether that be... We've done like choreography with the witchcraft video. Like we brought in dancers in a dance team. This one take we just did, uh, Nate's like green screen. Most recently we did VFX. Like that's our newest thing. And yeah. they sound like very like minimal things and they are. But as we oh, like huge. small progression, <laughs> like one step better than yesterday is like a better step. Right. And you also, you also trust yourself for next time as well. If mm -hmm. we want to get those, if we want to get choreography again, well, we did it. Yeah. So why not do it again? And also so it's like building your that? confidence as exactly. well through those challenges. That's great. So it's like, oh, I, I know I'm capable of this, but this is what it takes out of the project. Yeah. So then as you know, like, oh, using this crane is going to take this much time, but is it worth it? Right, right. Um, so as you learn, you just continue to build and then like your videos just keep getting stronger, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the constant challenge is to answer that question. Yeah. What's your least favorite? Post-production. Yeah. Posting. Pre's not as annoying. But um, pre I'm not gonna lie to you. I prefer working with no budget than I do a little budget. Because mm. in the little budget, I mean no budget, you're like, yo, this is pure passion. Like you yeah, have yeah. to like want to do this project. Yeah. Little budget. Somebody comes on set and they're like, not doing a good job. I can't come at them. Right. And not that I'm gonna be like, what the fuck are you doing? But more so like, yo, like we gotta like, you need to be at a high, operating at a higher level right now. Like this yeah. is not the pay rate I'm paying you. It is the pay rate I'm paying you. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like the, people want to have to be there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless it's, so it's a low paid job. I hate that. And I hate just asking people to like come on for free. If it's really just like the favor system. I'm not a big fan of the favor system. I think what, what once was, yo, we have to create this project for the sake of creating like a unique art form has now turned into, oh shit, I did this for them or they did this for me. So I owe them this. Yeah. It's like, no, like yeah, yeah. if you help somebody out, I would hope that you believe in that person enough that when their time comes that they want to do something that they see through, yeah, yeah. you want to help them. Yeah. Unless it's like, yo, help me move my grandma's crib. That's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's like, yo, like Matt finally wants to direct a video, yo, hell yeah, I want to help you out. True. It's not so much, oh shit, I can't go to the movies today, I got to help Matt. It's like, why are you giving favors to people you don't like rock with their like belief? Yeah, yeah, true. So 
I think that gets fun. I don't think everybody that's saying, oh, I owe them a favor is like believing that. Yeah. More so that's how it's like portrayed. It's it's a toxic, I feel like it's a toxic kind of power thing that, that we, we've developed through the industry where it was like, oh, well, like we'll just do it now for this other person so that it'll pay off in the end and we can add yeah. it to our portfolio. Like, yeah. That's valid, but yeah. like it's just, it's also just taking advantage. Yeah. But sometimes you have to do it. Yeah. Um, you definitely have to do it. So I hate, I hate not paying people for sure. I hate low paying jobs. Yeah. I hate the strong word, but I just, it's tough to work with, but that's just, like I was saying earlier, like you have to work through these like smaller projects and like specs and like creative projects to then be able to leverage later. Yeah. You'd hope that those people that helped you out are still like, you're going to bring them back around. Yeah. If they believe in you. If they're coming up for you, they believe in you. Yeah. Um, that's a tough part. Yeah. And, um, bookkeeping sucks as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just did all of, like majority of our books for 2022 and that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what are, what were the biggest challenges early on or still even some that you have today because it's still early on just a year in dude, having no idea what the, like you actually, I actually had no idea what you have to do. It's not like sure you can go on YouTube. What does a producer do? Right. Like being on set, like, Oh, this needs to be tackled. Like this needs to be like handled. Right. And just not knowing you have to handle that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like even like how to properly write a call sheet, what a good call sheet looks like, what a good, um, like communication looks like for like your team and not knowing like how to manage people better. So yeah. Yeah. That was definitely the hardest. You just don't know. You literally don't know until you do it. Yeah. And you have to say, educate as much as you can and then just go for it. Um, but starting out, I really had no idea. Yeah. Of like what the, like who's responsible for what. And like, right. like I was saying, like it's a very like role divided industry. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Like, totally. Yeah. So it's like, like, you're not going to hop up big, Ellie, you know what? I got this one on the mic. Like, you're not going to do that. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Well, yeah. Come to, come to the tour. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if, if you, if you're telling me this, that you didn't necessarily know until you did it, why music videos? Something, to do. not something to do. I wasn't like, Oh, bored. Like, what should I do? Yeah. But I love the Emmanuel thing so much. And okay. I was like, yo, like if we can create this, like what else can we create? Right. And it's just kind of like, also like I said here, like, I think it's just kind of like rooted in everything I've done is like rooted in business of like where this could come. Yeah. So like with the, from clothing and concert tickets, this was the next business move. I was like, okay, I want to build my own company now with Nate. And I was like, this is what it is. And it's yeah. going to be video production. And I don't think Luna's not forever. Yeah. Not forever by any means, but it's right now. So I think that's what it was. Is like, that's why. Yeah. Do you think it can, it can become, um, an entity, to a bigger thing for sure yeah 100 yeah like nice and juicy christian tyler um christian tyler turned into colossal yeah so like for sure like he was doing his own thing but he wasn't like oh in five years i'm going to like open up colossal toronto yeah, yeah. he's doing his own thing and then like believing in himself and then from there out yeah. um so yeah i think it will or the lessons either way the lessons are going to carry through but i don't know if that turns into luna is one of the subsections of a bigger thing yeah or luno fades out and something else comes in but that's why it's just a means to like learning again and also like connecting and like having a way to like have a creative creative portfolio yeah so that's why maybe i'm just i'm just throwing it out there um maybe boulevard becomes the video and then but it's still luno like luno pictures mm. or luno like you know Totally. I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, brainstorm I, here. Yeah, yeah. A little brainstorm. Get this boy's you. points on the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Following the music video, we're going into topic three now, which is curation and aesthetics. Was curation and aesthetics always of value to you? And when I when I when I'm thinking that curation and aesthetics is like, okay, the clothing thing. Mm -hmm. Now, Luno music videos, visuals, aesthetics. Was that always of importance to you? The look of something. Now, aesthetics with with curves. I don't think so. No. No, I don't think I was ever like, I think consistency has always been one thing in continuity, mm. but it's never been like how it looks is number one. Cause I'd rather, like, I've always believed like the back end should be stronger than potentially the front end. Cause then once that time that the front end can shine, like the back end's there. So whether that be like your production, like not video production, but like the production of like how your company runs is yeah. going to be stronger. Um, than your product. Than your product. Yeah. yeah. So because then you know you're capable of handling anything. If like your front end is like half-baked, but your back end's 100%, once that front end gets fully, like, you're straight. Yeah, you know yeah. you're good, it's not gonna crumble. Yeah. Like the last thing you wanna see is like something that's like, oh, this is so amazing, but they just filed for bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, literally. Because they don't know what the back end is looking like. Yeah. So, yeah, to the aesthetic question, that's not really aesthetic, talking about being bankrupt but um no no but basically what i'm asking is that was is was curating and the aesthetic like okay was your room as a child mm -hmm. was did you have like posters on your wall no not they're random i don't think we'll see lights if i can hang up that but now is yo the, shout I, I was, out lights yeah, bro dude, <laughs> shout out lights i know you're a big lights oh, lights fan ride or die yeah <laughs> big, biggest fan out of london yeah that's why i got some friends that are <laughs> me, but um real shout out yeah um no i was outside too much right i didn't care what my room looked like right i had dude i had a winnie the pooh duvet cover or like a duvet right until like 2021 Christmas. <laughs> yo. It wasn't that that was the main sheet, yeah. but it was like a different sheet, but I'm like, yo, I didn't care. It's right. just like, I'm outside too much to care. And now I'm like, I think COVID and like with curves, you care more about the inside of your crib and curation. Yeah. And now I'm like realizing the important, but like it never, that was never number one to me is more so like the business and back end has to be stronger than the front. Cause I knew I wasn't going to eat. I knew I was going to pay rent if my, if my job's not good, if my like the business can't run. Uh, and now I'm learning, like, especially through Curves and from Sean about the importance of, like, what it looks like and how aesthetic and how the rollout looks. Right. And I always think about how it's going to be consumed. I think that's a flaw of mine is I think too far of how it's going to be consumed. But um, do you think that's different of how it looks? When you say mm -hmm. when you say when you say how it's consumed, do you mean the actually the act of consuming it or the amount of times it's going to be consumed. Like, do, 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 mm. do, do, do you think about like how it's being consumed from a viewer's perspective? Yeah. And, and is that different from how it looks? Yeah. Yeah. I think how it's consumed is how I think. Right. What are like, as soon as I open it, like, what would I think if I open this video? What would I think if I open this brand? Mm. Like, and that's how I seen. So I guess I have thought about that. Cause I would always be like, Oh, I want to create FOMO. I want to create like the sales tactic that people are missing out. Right. Cause then they're like, Oh shit. When Corey posts, I want to have his like post notifications on to like, know these tickets go fast. True. Okay. So like, I think that's, that's how I think is like, how would the consumer's mind move when they see story 12 minutes ago, these tickets up for grabs and then one minute ago they're sold. What would I think? Right. Oh shit. I missed out again. Okay. 
how can I fix this next time? Yeah. So I think that's how I thought is like how the consumer consumes rather than like how it's seen. And like how the stories is like, it's a lot of text, but the rapper's name needs to be in like bright font. The price needs to be there. Or if I don't want to know the price, hit DM for info. Right. And like the date and like important details. Like how is this going to read? So I think that it's like, it's about how, not what it looks like. So I think that's always been number one is I'd be like, I just pick it up and look at the story for like two seconds. And be like, what do I, what do I go to? Mm. And even like when, even at, at, at Steam Whistle now, like the other week we did craft beer fest and a bunch of people ordered the smoked meat sandwich when that's not what we prepped to sell the most. Right. And I like, I walked down, looked at the menu. I'm like, how do I look? And I'm like, smoked meat sandwich. When we have like these great sausages that are not where they should be on the menu. Right. So that's not like thought about. It's like, oh, this, the design is phenomenal, but how we were not, we weren't thinking about how it was going to be consumed. Right. They didn't have six beers and go and order a sausage. And that was their issue. Right. But, um, yeah. So, uh, it's, this is so interesting to yeah, me. Yeah. I think this is like mind blowing. I think it's a great, because not a lot of people think of that that way. Yeah. Um, where do you think you got that from? Do you think, think it's, it's yeah. Do you think it's, be, it's because you weren't serviced, uh, in, 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 in how you wanted it to be, or is it, is it, is it like problem and answer in the sense that like, it's like, why, why did this not work? And yeah. then, why did this work and what's the difference there? Exactly. I think it was that. Yeah. You gotta always compare big, okay, what did, what didn't. Like I was saying, you have to experiment and then see what did and didn't. Yeah. If you're not willing to fail, you're not gonna be willing to learn. Yeah. Um, but I think just like, cause I've always been at like, I've been at the consumer's like bottom end. I'm nowhere, I never had leverage over the consumer. Right. So I'm always at the point where I'm selling to them. I'm giving to them. I'm providing for them. How can I make this the easiest thing possible? So this is so seamless. When you want to buy a ticket, how is it so seamless that you don't hit me? Oh, what's the date? Oh, what's this? Right. Oh, where is it? I want you to have all that. I want you to have all yeah. the questions. So go it's check, so Go easy. check my fucking post. Yeah, it's like it's right there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. then it's like you have all the information. You have everything you need. When you go to the website, what's the first thing you see? Is it easy to contact us? What's our Instagram look like? Is it up to date? Yeah. How do I know what you do? Like if I'm like, okay, I'm a label head. You have three seconds on our website. Does it hit? Right. And you have to ask yourself, like, what, who, who are you trying to target to and how are they consuming? Mm -hmm. If you're targeting a 60 year old group, you know, you have a longer time with them and you know that visual might not be as important. It could be words because they have the time to read about you. Right. They want to hear that you are in things that they understand. They want to hear New York times. Oh, I know what the New York times is. They want to hear that you had 4 million views on TikTok. That doesn't matter to them because right. you're not talking to them. Yeah. You're not curating this. Um, yeah, so it's always like how it's perceived. I think another thing, the most important lesson I took out of university um, was definitely learning how to communicate to your prof. And right. I think this is so underrated and underdone in school where they're like, oh, they want us to write like this essay. Like this professor cares so much about MLA, MLA format. Then they just think it as, okay, I gotta do MLA or this is part of it. If you provide correct, like same MLA format, for example, or the same, let's say creative process for all five of your classes, like you're doing something wrong. Cause you know, one prof wants you to go into a creative venture that they don't care about the LA phone right? They want you to see that you're thinking, right? Speak their language is what I'm getting at. So if Steven wants you to like experiment and you can go off the rocker of what he wants for the guidelines and it's so broad, you can do literally do anything. As long as you're showcasing like thought provoking things, he doesn't care about how it's like format at the end. He wants to see you thinking. But if you go to the next teacher and they don't give a shit, if you go off, they care if you go off the sidetrack 
and you don't follow their guidelines, and you don't do the MLA how tight they want it to be, that's their language. Yeah. They want it nitty gritty. Like char- like the Charlie, th- for me, I one of the first impressions I had of you was the steam whistle pitch that you pitched to Charlie Wall Andrews mm-hmm. in our in our marketing class. Yeah. Yeah, and that's she, I didn't need to go that hard, but that's what no. I wanted to do. But she, I knew she would appreciate that. Yeah, if I did that at Western University in like our professional writing course, I would have got a damn zero. Yeah, yeah. But like, I know that her language would appreciate this. Yeah. So now, what I'm trying to say is like translating this to a client. When I'm talking with Luno, what does this client want from us? Like, do they want this to be tight deadlines? Do they want us to deliver more creative assets than they would prefer? How do I get them on my good side for next time? Yeah. How can I like, leave a good impression? Yeah. So again, I'm thinking about the consumer, how this is being consumed. Yeah. So when they get the email, do I need to color code it? Do they prefer me to text them? What's the preferred mode of communication? How would they rather be spoken to? That this is like going to be the most seamless thing for them. Yeah. Like, oh, here's option one, two, three. What do you prefer? These are the notes. Like always think about how it's being handed off. And I've, I've fucked up quite a few times where I've like not thought about that. And I'm just like, la- not get lazy, but I'm just like, you know what? Screw it. Like here, they'll figure it out. Right. It's waste way more time, leaves a bad time. You don't, you're not thinking about them. You always need to think, you know, if you're ever delivering to a, you have a customer, you need to be thinking about how they're getting it. When they open up that package, what's that going to look like? Yeah. You know, it's thought about, but you don't realize it's thought about. It's great. Yeah. What about with Sean? Just to talking about curves just a bit. Um, was Sean always on your radar? 100%. Because of Daniel. It's easier for sure. Yeah. Um, but not like, I don't say 100%. I think music came first. And then like realization of like, I've always appreciated the back end people of the people who are thinking about how it's consumed, how it's getting there, right. the logistics of it. Um, but when he came back onto my radar was um, internships were crying third year. Yeah. Fourth year? Third year. Third year. Um, I said to my boy, Matthew Worku, big shout out as well. Um, I was like, yo, like we need to be tapping into the internships that aren't posted. Yeah. That's where I think that's where our bread's at. Like, yeah. We need to like think about who are the behind the scenes people. So we were talking about day free. Uh, we were talking about Sean. Um, and those were kind of the two targets. And I was like, yo, you should hit Sean. I was like, you should just reach out to him, like find a way to connect, figure out something personal, like try and hit him. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to hit Sean, but he hit day free. Unfortunately, I didn't hear back. That'd have been crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I so yeah, so then I was just like, oh like, I'll hit Sean. I didn't really apply for I applied for like three other internships. Yeah. But I was just like, I'm not gonna go for one that everybody else is going for. Because yeah. one, they have an internship program that I know is probably ass cheeks. One I want is go learn firsthand of somebody that they don't it's not as structured, so I can like find a way to learn as well. And work for them after. Yeah, which I guess worked out. Yeah. <laughs> um for those who don't know who Sean Brown is, do you wanna mm-hmm. speak to that? Just just yeah. uh, for a sec. Uh, definitely check out any of his socials. Phenomenal aesthetic, phenomenal branding. Um, but yeah, just multifaceted designer and uh, creative. I hate that. a silly word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, phenomenal designer. Directed some great music videos. Has an immense knowledge of 90s music and hip-hop culture and everything to do culture, period. He's very aware and tapped in. Um of how things look, how things are designed, and very designed forward thinking. But yeah, he just, he gets it. He sees things through as well. He thinks about how it's like, how it's not just individual consumer, he's great for seeing the bigger picture of how the streets see it. See. And how it's like perceived like in the streets, we call it. Yeah. 
um, which is not something I always thought about. I always thought about individual, individual consumer, right? Which is great. Like challenges me in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great creative director. Yeah. Another kind of kind of topic here: artist branding and working in the music industry. Um, what do you look for when you're doing artist branding and visuals and stuff? Is it is it specifically f- like their idea first? You know, sometimes or or they come in with that bag. Uh, from past music videos, from past images, from past branding, from that that current album, and you have to follow that, or is it like, you know, yeah? What do you look for? I look for someone that's open, hardworking, willing. Either you got to be either hardworking, or willing to work with the like director or company. Yeah, because if you're not hardworking and you aren't willing to work, like not work in the sense of that, but like listen and like see ideas through, you're just gonna get nowhere. Because right. then you're like, okay, then what? Like, what do you want? And if you're just too late, if the artist is too lazy to tell you what they want, you're never going to get you. It's going to keep running in circles. Yeah. Um, and that's just not just artists. That's clients as well. Um, yeah, so somebody that's open. I love to collaborate. I love to hear, like, a starting point. I'll be like, this is where I wanted to start. And then I go from there. Right. And as you can tell through all my answers, like, this podcast, I get sidetracked a lot. So I'll go into, like, different, like, hubs. Sure. And then bringing it back to them, like I'll run down one alley really far and bring it to them, like, oh, too far in this niche. Then I'll like, I'll, I'll pull back and then run down another alley and then pull back if needed or like incorporate all those elements. Yeah. Brainstorming um, ideation and then yeah. checking in with them. Exactly. See what works, see what doesn't, see what works. 100%. Somebody who's, they have to be, I love to collaborate. Because um, I like to see like in your head, I also want to, if they have a vision for their video and I've learned this the hard way, if they already have something in their head, and then you go against the whole world and they just be okay, just hear me out. Yeah. It's not going to connect. Mm-hmm. And I've learned recently in the book, Power of Habit, that to brand something, you need to present familiarity. And like, you really need to give, like, this is, Matt's used to eating Oreos. Here's an Oreo and a brand new cookie, but then another Oreo. And then they'll eventually like that middle cookie, even though they don't know what that is. Right. So when you go, oh, Matt, you want a country barn doors in your video. I'm going to give you a treatment with country barn doors, but also with my ideas as well. So here's what you know and what you wanted and what you visualize with my taste. You're like, oh, yeah, comforting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I can see this through. But if I come to you, there's no country barn doors and it's bright red steel doors in my whole vision. Like, this is nothing that I talked about. Yeah. And then you also, the artist doesn't feel hurt. Right. If you do it like that. Mm-hmm. You're like, did you even listen? Like, why? Then you just wasted their whole time. Exactly, yeah. You're like, oh. What was that meeting for? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I could have just sent you this deck with no conversation yeah. to begin with. That conversation could have been an email. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And even send a voice note. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Save the fingers. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So unless you're like, yo, I'm not going to say anything in that vein, but like, yeah. yeah. And then they're like understanding. But, um, yeah. So I like, I like to collaborate. Somebody who's like willing to like start an idea Yeah. or just be receptive mm-hmm. and open to like anything. Yeah. So branding wise, we haven't done anything besides Nilo, but he's had, he's had other photographers as well. And Nate's shot quite a bit of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, somebody who's uh, just open. Yeah, I love just like, yeah, the trust is there. Like Juan, like Henry Mart, when we shot the yeah. maybe I'm wrong video, he sent me a lot of re- he, that was the one of my favorite experiences because he would send me a bunch of stuff. Like, oh, I like this, I like this, and I'd send him things. He'd be like, oh, that's fired. Yes, uh, maybe this way, and we'd like we'd work on it. He yeah. was never like ah uh, no or just like he'd be keeping <laughs> yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you just be like, oh, no, this is cool. This is cool. But what if this? And he's like, yo, I, end this is your decision. But what if? And right. I'm, I'm like, I love the what ifs. What about references? Um, 
I want to ask you about that because you're also really into culture as well. What's working with similar artists in the same genre? So references and similar artists and similar genres. We often find like, um, like in rap, for instance, it's very heavily referenced based stuff, mm-hmm. always referencing stuff in the lyrics, but also in the music videos. Um, are references something that you think about a lot when curating a brand for an artist or curating a music video for an artist? Yeah. Um, do they come to you with references? Um, is it something that you think about? Are you referencing other videos? I couldn't stop thinking about references. Like you can't stop. Yeah. Once you start, you're like, damn, what about this? The amount of pictures I just have of like random ass angles or like random like lights. <laughs> Concerts is the most underrated lighting reference base. Concerts? Concerts. Yeah. Like, dude, the Tame Impala show, no, the Boney Bear show, I think about probably weekly how well lit and designed that stage was. The, the, their use of like lasers, haze, reflection, change of reflection, and like shape creation, and also like stage placement, like mind blowing. Like they were so yeah. on it. Like whoever designed that set, phenomenal. Cause yeah. You're that, talking about the, the, the show where they had mirrors above? Yeah, and then right. every single time they pivoted, it created a new shape because of the haze of the lasers. So they want to create a square, they just go like, create a square over the show. And then they would lower them if you want a smaller like rectangle. Then you could like drop them in, they'd come down or point at the, like point into the crowd. Tame Impala show, also crazy. Yes, yeah, that was yeah. fucked. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I was like, I didn't even like enjoy that show as much as I should have because just the crowd was all like finance bros. I spent like 260 on a ticket like an hour before the show and the shrooms just like didn't hit as I wanted them to. Okay. But the lighting references <laughs> were super fire. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw that show in Barcelona. Yeah. After the Charlie show, um, they played right after. Yeah, like the ring. Yeah, like the it, ring, of course, yeah. And the, like, at Scotiabank, I don't know if they would have done it there because I don't know if they had a back base, but they had lasers going through the whole yeah. spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, and if for us, because it was outside, it was, like... Endless. Endless. <sighs> so, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. And the late... Oh, yeah. It's just, um... Yeah. One of the best nights of my life. I believe that. Yeah. Primavera, yeah. 50,000 people, Tame Impala, <sighs> beach that day. It, it was it was so crazy because yeah, we, totally. I haven't I haven't really talked about this on the podcast really, but the the, the, the prim, like Primavera campus was on a beach, so you could go just to the beach just like right there. They had like a private spot for the artists, and backstage was all like everything was uh, was free kind of thing in the sense of like uh, open bars, but also open restaurants. That open uh, like. Um, how do you, how do you, what do you say? Like open a, bar. Open bar, yeah, but open food truck situation. So anything that you wanted was given. And yeah, it was just the greatest day. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, it was a hot day. Charlie, uh, 50,000 people, Tame Impala right after. And then it was, it was supposed to be The Strokes, but it was yeah. a, another band. I forget the name now. Um, but anyway, yeah, crazy. Tame Impala was, was crazy stupid that night yeah. it was so good i wish i could go back and relive that show yeah and and from even just from a sound perspective yes lighting was insane but from a sound perspective it sounded like the album mm-hmm. like yeah. every every tone was exactly like the record and it was it was crazy yeah yeah, yeah so references don't stop even yesterday i was rock climbing and like the stairwell at the rock gym i was like this is so sick i right. just imagine somebody like sliding down here 
So I just have a photo of this like staircase now. Yeah. That I'll have to think about when I went rock climbing last <laughs> But that's why you just have like notes. My notes app is like endless. Yeah. Then I'll put like if I have like a shot idea, because I have a lot of just like shot ideas. Yeah. I'll just reference the date so I can go back and find that photo. And right. you can attach photos into your notes, but just I just use notes endlessly. Yeah. I just take crazy like a lot of photos. Jeez. Because then you just have it. And then even if you like the shot, I'm sure it's definitely been done. Anything you've done, it's been done, but the shot you like want to take, if you can't find the reference for it, just like, it'll just be like photos of me, like doing the reference yeah, I want. Sure. And like, so it'll just be, mm. won't look as good in the treatment, but it gets the point across. Right. And then you can like, you then encompass like understanding rather than just leaving like two photos and be like, but imagine it slides, it's like dog. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's exactly. again, you have to think about how the consumers are going to see it. Everything is objective. Are they a too. visual learner? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, so that's something I think about. But yeah, tr endless examples. Branding, not so much, but more so references. Are yeah. Going into topic five now, the importance of networking building and building community. Um, last topic, by the way. Um, <laughs> Please hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Get our KPI yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've known you as this, uh, well, I introed you, wait. <laughs> I introed you as a Toronto-based creative industry facilitator, connector, network extraordinaire, and mover. I've always known you as kind of like this guy that had like a huge network. Um, and I think it, 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 do, it does stem from that, those like vintage days, ticket selling days, but you've always, you've always tried to push to make that connection and to be memorable. Mm -hmm. um, now that's just giving you flowers, but where does that come from? And why do you think, and my question is specifically the importance of networking and why do you think community is so important, especially in the creative sector? Your net worth, your net worth. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, in the beginning, um, I've definitely grown. I'd like to think I've grown a lot as a person. So in the early days, it was kind of like, okay, get everybody in my contact list as possible. Like be that guy. Like, and then like the flaw to the other thing of how things like how, is this product being consumed? I was thinking, how is Corey Pittman being consumed? Right. Like, how am I being coming off? And then you start to like, and I had issues of like, with my personal like self, like, oh, how am, I'm just being a chameleon. Like I'm, oh, this person is like hardcore. I should become hardcore right now. It's like, no, that's not really who you truly are. Right. And I had an issue of like, my goal was like, Network, network, network. Are you not stop hearing me talk about network that my friends like made fun of me for it my whole life? Because I was just becoming this person that I would go into the situation, be the chameleon, fit, network, shake the hands. And it wasn't like always personable. It wasn't always just about this. It was like about business. And like, yes, you need to have those relationships where you're not like best friends with the person. And like understanding the level of relationships has been like a big lesson for me these past few years of like, you don't need to be best friends with every client. Yeah. You don't need to be on a texting basis with a client. That doesn't need to happen. And it's okay not to be, it's perfectly okay when people don't like you. Cause then it shows that you have a personality. Yeah. And it's, it shows that you like, this is my community. This is what I like. This is how I talk. This is who I am. This is how I dress. Mm -hmm. If you don't like me, that's okay. Cause that's just not you. And that's when it's like accepting that was obviously very hard. But um, on the networking tip, I continue just like be the chameleon. Now I'm trying to just be like, oh, this is like who I am. And I try and just like, or just be genuine. That's the biggest thing. Just be nice. Um, and I think I always was through the years. I was never like purposely 
a dickhead. But Todd Roberts from E1 Entertainment. Randomly, Nicole got me on a call with Todd, who was like the president of like E1 at the time. Yeah. He thought that this was like an interview for like a producer A&R position that I was interviewing for. Okay. I thought it was just like a link up call because I was like, man, this guy's like actually on it to be down a call. True. So I got on and I was like, and he's like, starts pitching the wrong. I'm like, oh man, like, this is totally not what I thought this was. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm keeping it book. I'm not about this position, but you got any advice? And he's just like, yo, no matter what, just be a good guy. Just be nice no matter yeah. what. Every scenario. Yes. Never try and be rude. And that's kind of like the new tip. I'm like, I've always been, always had that, but have intention to your conversation. Yeah. I'm realizing when you stretch yourself too thin and you're like trying to be that guy always, it's going to just bite you in the ass. People are going to see through your unauthenticity. They go, how are the kids? How are the kids? You ask yourself the, the same person that question three times in one day. Right. Because that's all you say. You're right. like, oh, my goal is to network. It's like not, your goal needs to have like intention and purpose. So when you're networking, actually have these intentions. And if you're at your wits end, be like, yo, I'm drained. This isn't going to be like meaningful for either of us. It's just going to leave you sour taste. Don't yeah. bother. It's yeah. going to come around. Yeah. Okay, so we've we've now talked about networking, but what about your network that you've built, like the mm -hmm. people around you? What do the people around you mean to you? Dude, everything. I wouldn't be anywhere without anyone. There you go. I'm by far not super talented in one lane. I'm just like, I try and like tap around where I can. But without people, like, like I'm talking about these niches, these communities that I can like tap into and like have them educate me because they're so far into that lane. Yeah. I would be nowhere without these people. I couldn't operate an RE Alexa. I couldn't do that because I'm tapping into the camera community to help me out that. I don't know how to light a scenario. So I'm tapping into those people and they're a part of my network, but they're a part of a different community. Yeah. So like my network, I try to have like, I'm like, okay, checkbox camera community. It's not like that. It's just like things happen and that's just how they roll. So I think, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it, it, they're everything to me. I really wouldn't be anywhere without anybody's these projects. There's not a single thing I've done without the help of somebody else. Yeah. So I wouldn't be anywhere without anyone. Yeah. And especially in your role too, because your role as a director slash producer is to have access to these people and access to their, their, their bag too, mm -hmm. right? Your bag is sort of all of their bags yeah. in a way in your roles that you're currently operating in. 100%. Um, and that's important. The guy I was saying earlier, just like be nice. On set, you could be operating this project for like 15 days before shoot day. Yeah. That's not realistic, but you could be. So you know what you've done it all. And then when they come on set that one day to work for you, excuse me, and they're and you're miserable, this is what you're leaving them as. You're going to let them be like, okay, this is a miserable job. We got to get through this. Yeah. If you're not like lighting up their mood and like being there for them, like being their support, you're doing it wrongly. You've really got to like help your crew out because without like a happy network and a happy team is just going to become like a dull project. Yeah. And even like as themes of like, even though I'm a floor supervisor, I'm like running the floor and managing everybody. I just see myself as a glorified support person. Like that's how I treat it. It's like, Oh, what does this person need to have the best service possible? Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, who's the most important is the customer coming in to have a meal. Yeah. So what, how can I help my server provide for them? Yeah. Oh, it's clearing their, it's clearing their plates. Oh, it's helping this guest. Oh, it's helping this here. Oh, it's comping this beer. But what, like, and you're just thinking about that end consumption for them. Yeah. And, like, managing them. Also knowing this person doesn't want to be helped until they ask me. Yeah. And learning, yeah. And learning that management. Learning so like, their style. Yeah, learning their thing. Knowing your network as well. Yeah. Knowing that, who to reach out to for when to be pushed. Yeah. And also when you have, when you're a genuine person, you actually have these genuine conversations. You know, oh, I just went through this. Oh, I just moved houses. 
I could use the right money. Oh, you know what? I'm going to tap in with homeboy who just moved because he needs some money right now. I could really, I'd love to help him out in this scenario. Right. Um, so when you're like actually genuinely having conversations with people, you find these things out and it's on a personal level. It's not always just business because yeah. you can be scary. You bring on somebody set and you're just like, it's only all business. And sometimes, like I said, it just needs to be only business. But if you have the time, just have a quick conversation at lunch. Yeah. Get to know who you're working with, why they're doing it. Oh, I actually don't care to be on commercials. You've hired me for 10 commercials, but I want to be on a creative thing. Oh shit. I never would have thought to hire you for a creative thing. Right. Come on board next week. Yeah. 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 You know? You don't know until you ask. Yeah. What, just to, the, the last thing I wanted to touch on is how do you think your role at Steam Whistle, um, how do you think that has impacted you in your other roles? Yeah. It's impacted me by, like I was saying just before this, like understanding how people operate and what they, what they need from you. Yeah. So like, on set, I'm understanding, okay, this person needs me to back away and stop asking them if they need any help. They're good. Yeah. Then, then it takes somebody like, this person needs guidance, like understanding, and I try not to overstep in the like, communication. And like, you can never, you can over communicate for sure, but it's better to over communicate than under communicate. Never assume, never assume that this task was done until you check it yourself. Yeah. And making sure that it's not going to get done unless you like, you can tact, um, deviation. Yeah, deviate. Like learning to deviate tasks as well. Like, be, oh, you tackle this, this, this. And even though it feels like you're not doing anything, you're still controlling how these people are moving and like getting tasks done. So even though you're not physically scrubbing the bathroom yeah. or whatever, filling the soap dispenser, it's still getting done. And somebody needs to be at that top leading those people. And even though it doesn't, you're not, I'm so used to just doing it myself. Yeah. Learning that like, it's okay to not do it yourself and just learn to del not deviate, delegate. delegate word. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, delegate these tasks out to people. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you're almost producing. Oh, for sure. The floor. Yeah. You're producing like, you're producing experience for people. It's like the food needs to be ordered for craft. Yeah. Oh, the bar needs to be ready and set up. Yeah. I need to make sure this yeah. has happened. Make sure this is tackled. You're not necessarily only producing for the clients, but you're also producing the experience for your staff. Yeah. 100%. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, you're always like, yeah, I think you're great at it. But um, yeah, and that's why whoever's listening, if you're still here and the KPI is still getting up, uh, <laughs> always, no matter the job, there's always a lesson we learn. Yeah. No matter what. I learned great lessons from cleaning bricks for 25 cents a brick to uh, being a supervisor at Steam Whistle. So don't ever knock a job for what it is. Like there's always something to be learned in that place. Either that's how to communicate with a boss like yours, a management style, how to like productivity, how to like improve your own workflow. There's always something to be learned. And I think that's one thing I'm like proud of myself in is like every job I took a lesson from every job I've done. You can, there's something that I've done. That's like made me who I am from working for the city of London to serving cinemas. There's always something to be learned from no matter the job. There you go. <laughs> I like to thank Corey Pittman for being the guest on uh, this 11th episode of the cloud machine podcast. Corey, it was so great to uh, talk to you about, um, like aesthetics, the music video industry, your company, Luna Boulevard, um, and the whole thing, man. I mean, you, you're, you have been an inspiration for a long time. And again, like I said, the, fir the first thing, um, well, you're, you were one of the first names that I wanted to have on this podcast, even before the first episode was recorded. So thanks for coming by. And um, yeah, man. Thank you, truly. 
it's always such great conversations. Yeah. They always challenge me and ask me questions, which I love to love to answer. I love going back and forth with you. Yeah. Because you always see ideas further and further and things just continue to develop every time, every time we talk. So yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'd love to, to work together someday, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Again. Again. There you go. Um, I'd like to also thank those who have been listening. Um, you know, Calm Machine, 11th episode, we're, 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 we're trucking. Um, and uh, learning learning something new every every week. Um, I think like this is a great opportunity for me as well to just um, build this network of people, but also I uh, just have these conversations. I'm, I'm learning every week and uh, I hope you are too. Um, please uh, don't stop interacting with the uh, the content, like, subscribe, whatever, share, comment, whatever you gotta do to, to keep All updated. Um, yeah, thank you for being there. Stay safe. Um, see you next week. Shout out Kelly. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Ice motherfucker cold, that boy he a ping. Come, 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 come,